to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who rolls up and goes straight on. This is quite appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified. I think like T.I., you thought we were dead and gone, and then here we are, a couple glasses of bourbon in hand, uh, and we're back uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I might say, Gerald. And I got to say, a lot has happened in life since we've last talked. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pl- I'm planning a wedding. Uh, I moved. Uh, you look like you've had some Botox, and uh, all is well. Uh, so it's great to see you happy and healthy, and uh, I am super excited for you to walk us through a, mu- a number of fun topics tonight, including recapping uh, who was the better pris- crystal ball predictor of how the season would play out now that we have the benefit of seeing it in the rear view. So what say you, buddy? How are you? <laughs> Just a little light foreshadowing. Oh, no. no yeah, of course. Um, yeah, look, we barely knew how to do this when we had a consistent cadence, uh, no doubt it's going to be rougher and rockier than usual, but, um, we are here for the people we are here to serve back by, well, I'm not sure popular, but sparse, but (laughs) very vocal demand. We are here. Uh, and, and I would rather be nowhere else. So I think we just dive right in. We are a few, races and a few weeks removed from the end of the formula one season. I mean, I think right out of the gate, we gotta, we gotta just quickly touch on the last couple of races, Brazil, Vegas, Abu Dhabi. It felt like a bit of a, of a roller coaster from underwhelming to overwhelming races. Um, Let's start with Brazil. I mean, often talked about as a driver favorite, one of the best races on the calendar last season, was featured a, an amazing comeback from Hamilton through the sprint race and, and through the actual race and, and was really a moment where you thought, wow, Mercedes is, is poised to hit the ground running next season. All the commentators were, were quick to hit on all of those points leading up to this race weekend, but turned out to be quite a dud. Um, this, and as a hater of the sprints, I have to say, you know, the sprint saved the weekend. It brought some excitement. It brought some passing. So damn it. Um, you know, I hate to be wrong, albeit this episode was an awfully humbling one in preparation for just how much I am wrong. But Brazil, a little bit of a little bit of a dull, albeit maybe the last two laps. But what was your thoughts on on the Brazil weekend? You know, the only thing I remember from the Brazil weekend was that freaking god mode thunderstorm that rolled in during qualifying the the photos of like because i think max was like the last one out on track in that session the photos of him making around turn one and like what was coming in in the background are insane did you see those videos online of like the tops getting blown off the grandstands i can't believe nobody died like maybe they did and they just swept under the rug i don't know brazilians are kind of shady but i it's that was nuts. That's the only thing I remember, honestly. I, I, it was a total just just parade of a race, though. So, uh, well, if nothing else, it provided some some additional like construction materials well, for the surrounding barrios. But um, have but you yeah. have you? Well, Brazil is traditionally good for overtaking, right? 
Like that's that's been the thing that it's known for, and like that exit out of the final turn, it, it makes for a good rundown of the home straight, and so it's typically an easy place to overtake. But it didn't play out. That well, way. and I feel like you have a good like back and forth just between like the long home straight, and then you have sort of the that second DRS zone after that kind of first like S complex. So I mean, there is some good back and forth opportunities, but. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, all of the because of the the weekend structure, I think people were caught out more with the with the sprint weekend, really fascinating sprint. But yeah, the race was kind of boring. But I mean, the biggest takeaway for me came down into the final laps, right? Which I mean, Perez, again, poor qualifying, had to have a recovery drive, but he ended up sending 17 laps behind Alonzo. And I watched his driver cam that entire end of the race and I was surprised to see the fact that like he just took this like really tight line as though he had totally open space in front of him. But like Alonzo just closed the door and set up his exit for like the straight. And it just seemed like Perez never did that one time. It's just it was very confusing as to what Perez's strategy was there. He never set himself up for like a good exit to maximize DRS. And then he made the pass and then was like repassed again. So for me, it just was like after a rough season, it seemed like the perfect quintessential end where you're like, dude, this is the, this is the story of the season in, in a nutshell, pretty much. But credit to Alonzo for, for holding him off and then being bold to, to take that position back. And why it was probably one of the closest photo finishes, like five thousandths of a second or something crazy. So it was a cool finish, but again, another, not a good look for, for Perez at the finish. I uh, had you seen any of that reporting the race did where they talked about how the they did a little math on like how much because like the whole notion of the the whole goal of the new era regulations now we're two full years in was basically to reduce the amount of wash behind the car so that they could follow better and they did some math on basically like now that teams are finding the loopholes in the regulations and finding more surfaces to create additional downforce under and around the car like the they're creating more wash behind the car. Mm-hmm. And it was so inevitable, the, the whole, right? It was inevitable. And so now, like, I think they said in the regulations, they reduced the amount of, like, arrow wash by, like, 50, like, 40 to 50%. And now they th- say it's been nullified down to, like, 15, you know? And so it's like, yeah, some of it is just, like, teams are developing, out-developing the, the regulations and, like, the cars are probably having a harder time following. The performance parity is still, like, decent, right? But, like, it maybe is getting harder to overtake just as a result of development alone. And, potentially hurt a track like Brazil from being as entertaining as it might have otherwise been. So I don't know. It could be a number of factors, but also sometimes you just based on the, you know, combination of qualifying in the sprint, like you just end up with a grid order. That's not going to lead to an entertaining race and you don't have anybody crash. And it's just like, yeah, just sometimes it's the math doesn't work out. You know, I, for me, it's just, you look at drivers like Piastri and Leclerc and obviously Verstappen and they're willing to take that, like, really bold move at some point to make the pass. And it's just, it's just something you never see from Perez. And if he does, it ends up being lazy and he makes contact with the driver anyway. And so again, to me, it just felt like the capstone of the whole season and, and they must have a high degree of confidence in what their car looks like going forward. I mean, I think you've heard Nui say exactly that, that they've had a ample amount of time, probably more time than any team previously to start working on, on next year's car. And so, I mean, they got a cheap second driver that doesn't, doesn't upset the Apple cart, but we'll get to Vegas in a moment, but just that level of like competitiveness between both 
you know, lead team drivers, as well as having another team in the mix, like so much more compelling. And unfortunately, I think as you look ahead to next season, you're, you're going to be stuck with a bit of the same of Max running away with the show while he has a driver who just is not in, in the same, same category. You're going to need, you're going to need, I, I totally agree. People, people think they, they think about the F the Red Bull, um, financial section, whatever, uh, cost cap violation. And they're like, Oh, surely this lack of aero development time is going to pull Red Bull back to the pack. I'm like, bro, Red Bull has had, they, they got freed up to think about 2024 sooner than anyone on the grid because they've had no one chomping at their heels. They haven't touched, they probably barely touched that car since Silverstone. I mean, the constructors has not even been in question. The only thing that's been questioned is second in drivers. But beyond that, constructors was locked up before summer break for all. I mean, I love how it, like in the season, they're always like, is it going to be this race? Is it going to be the next race? Like nobody gives the fact that we're even talking about which race it's going to be means it was seven races ago that this championship was decided. Exactly. And and meanwhile, Mercedes has battle, been battling Ferrari and vice versa. And so it's like, dude, Red Bull has been thinking about this for so much longer. I'm not I'm not going to quite mint this as an official prediction, but the, I think there's a chance they come out and gap everybody by like three or four tenths at the first race next year. Like, we'll I mean, they to, well, could. I will obviously have to get another it, prediction on do they supersede their it, their gap from last season or I guess from this I, <laughs> last season, this season, whatever season we're in now. Unless you just believe that Ferrari or Mercedes is going to really hit pay dirt, uh, which is possible, but I I just don't know how anybody's catching them in this era, this this regulation era. Like I just there's just too they're just too far out front. But anyway, so Brazil, short topic there, not all that exciting a race, which is sad because as we were we were both quick to say after the fact that is one of the most fun tracks to drive in in like simulations. I mean, it is just absolutely a, a blast it'd be a great race to go to but unfortunately this season not as compelling as others um however leading up to the 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 next race las vegas i mean you would have thought the world was ending everything from the economic calamity that it was it was creating in las vegas to the the painful traffic disruption to labor strikes i mean it was it was the epicenter of all news for a couple of weeks, and I was more than happy to consume all of that that fear mongering. But in reality, it turned out that some might argue, and I would be in this camp, it might have been the most exciting race of the season. What what say you? I mean, it's the only race we've had a legitimate battle for first. Uh, so it's kind of hard to argue with that. Uh, but with I, multiple teams to, involved, right? I mean, it wasn't correct. Perez was in there, but mm-hmm. also Leclerc battling multiple times. I mean, yeah. you had passes both directions. Well, let, let me, add, before we get into the race quality itself, could I just ask you what your thoughts were when that drain cover popped off and ripped off signs of suspension? You had to have been just like through the moon. Just <laughs> wait, Vegas why do you think GP? I was you, through the moon? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like right out of the burn. gate. Like, yeah, yeah right like, out of the gate. This is a disaster. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just more kind of impressed than anything, just in terms of the the physics. I mean, I don't know if there's been any kind of like retrospective on that. Was it the fact that because of like the asphalt was so new and like things hadn't set or because I mean, it wasn't just like the top of a drain cover, like this top of a manhole, like access area. Like it was the, 
the entire like installation that is set within the concrete like exploded upwards. And there's some thinking that like other drivers like Ocon that immediately preceded signs like loosened it. But just the fact that like a downforce driven car creates that much suction and force to rip a component out of the pavement was more of just like an engineering marvel than anything. But simultaneously, and I guess maybe not because it probably created damage at like the rear of the vehicle, but at the same time, like it arguably was one of the, it, it was arguably the most dangerous incident of the season. If not for signs, then some other driver that, that followed signs. I mean, if you think yeah, about yeah. a solid steel component, like shooting upwards through the bottom of the vehicle, that's like horribly dangerous for signs and others. Dude, and so, can, I mean, can you imagine pretty, if he had been hurt, what would have happened? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it would have been a, a horrific look. I, it already was. I don't know how that kind of thing even happens. But then obviously he got these like 10 place grid penalties. And I guess that then, the con- crazy. Then, the, then the controversy is like, is he is he obviously has to repair the car? OK, so that would typically warrant penalties. But did you think that that was a fair position? Do you think the rules need some some sort of active God exceptions or like degradation of the track beyond like normal conditions. That was one of those things where like the stewards, basically they must've come to him with the, the, the ruling and been like, we know we're dumbasses, but we can't violate the rules as written. So please just take this and move on. Like that. I mean, it just was one of those situations where like the person dishing it out knew how ridiculous it was, but there's nothing anybody could do about it which is objectively absurd. There should absolutely be something somebody can do about something like that. Like I, the, the fact that you can have your external environment through no fault of your own cause you to have to violate Park Ferme and take a penalty for it is effing crazy. And anyone who says that it's, it's the way that it is justifiably because you can't write a non-subjective rule around those types of conditions is crazy. You absolutely can write a rule to accommodate for extenuating circumstances that require you to violate park thermite. Right? You can 100% write a rule for that. Like, yeah, that freaking, was, I, honestly, that a was deer, my, a deer jumps onto the track and you hit a fucking deer. Like you shouldn't take a grid penalty for fixing your front. Wing. Okay. So, like it, so when somebody hits the, um, when somebody hits a groundhog in Monaco or a lizard in Singapore, like if it causes you to crash, you should not be penalized for repairs for that. It has nothing to do with you. Why is that? How is that fair? Okay, let me ask the inverse. How could you How could you game that and take advantage of that if you wanted to? Yeah, look, I think I, I initially I biased or understood the argument of like doing it this way eliminates all subjectivity and decision making in different circumstances. Totally understand that. But I do think you have to limit it to, I, I think you have to figure out how wide the aperture is to that. I, because as you, as the examples that you listed of like creatures coming onto the track or protesters or whatever, like, I don't know that you could anchor it to like all situations, but I feel like you could do it more. So the, the more important situations are when the track, the physical track deviates from its like intended designed, like quote unquote, like like just like they have park Ferme for the cars, you say Thursday evening, this is the track. All of the necessary curbs have been instituted, blah, blah, blah. 
because I think where you would get an issue by opening the door is somebody you would get situations where the track is bumpy or a certain Sasha's curb was like too destructive, blah, blah, blah. But I think if you say the curb, the, the, the track was designed this way with all of the curves and all of the contours, whatever it is, it is. But if somehow a piece of the sausage curb came removed from the track and therefore damaged a floor or a drain manhole cover comes free and damaged the vehicles. Like it's if the track departs from its sort of approved condition, I think is when you could start to have exceptions and obviously a metal, you know, utility cover shooting out of the ground would fit that specification. And so I, I do feel like it's more of like the physical track design and, and what construction. If, what, what if somebody driving over that overpass that the track goes under in Miami decides to rip their car over the guardrail and crash their car onto the track and hit somebody during qualifying? Are they going to give somebody a fucking penalty for getting taken out by a pedestrian motorist in qualifying? Because that's how the rule's written right now. Okay, that's so then crazy. what is the what is like the affirmative language of the rule that you would use? If I, it's not, I, I'm not like something constricted to like the, the structure of the track, because now what you're saying is, like, well, you, it could be lizards or it could be random you, vehicles or like I now there my, becomes a multitude of situations that you'd have to. I'm, I'm not qualified and I'm not an attorney to be able to write that rule sufficiently. I guess the point I'm making, Gerald, is that rule books and laws exist to make the subjective objective. I was going to say, it's not like there's subjectivity things. in whether Cor or not we give Max a penalty for pushing Correct. a driver wide Correct. every single turn one. So, like, what are we really holding ourselves to then? It's like, yeah, this is it's obviously not like this is something... It's a paragon of objectivity. You, you can create a framework that is sufficiently objective to make this more reasonable. Like, that is not in doubt at all like there are far more subjective things that are currently codified in the so you think if it is any sort of non-driver team initiated issue if they hit a lizard or if they hit a groundhog or whatever sort of terroristic driver in miami drives over an overpass onto the track like all of those yeah, things would fall under non like an act of god like your car gets struck by fucking lightning yeah great like okay not your fault like they're I, yes, I don't know all the clauses, the sub bullets I would yeah, put yeah. in that, but like there are several. But there should be discretion, just like there is I'm, in all other stewards' and I, rulings. And I'm sure that a team of smart people could sit in a room and come up with enough bullet points to cover 98, 99% of what you would see. And they could I think have it wouldn't even have to be that, right? To your point, it would be yeah, principled of like, was it because of a fault of the driver or the team that you needed to replace parts like mechanical right. failure or, or fan, fan interference. It'd be the same way baseball covers fan interference issues, right? With fly balls. It's like, yeah. Okay. So like if it's a processor or like a fan decides to throw a fucking yeah. things with outside of, of like the, the normal operating of like yeah. a race now, and a track. Now, now where, now where I wouldn't that now where I would stop it is like, okay. So like if a tear off from a guy's visor gets caught in your brake ducts and ruins your car, like that's, that doesn't count. Like, it, it can't be as broad as saying, like, things outside of the driver's control. It's like, okay, but if it's things outside of the driver's control that are generated by the race action, then, like, it's fine. Yeah, so, it's like a non-race yeah. non event. Look, I, I totally agree with you. I think there's... Can again, I get that Neither right? of us... What? Can I get no. that right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're lucky right. you got it on record, as it is. Um, yeah, I think you could account for it. Somehow it did seem overly punitive, but what I found most interesting was as close as this, this Ferrari and Mercedes battle was coming into the final three races. 
any one of these like single in- incidences in isolation would have been enough to like determine a championship order second or third but it seemed like every single race there was like a a mirroring event right like if signs dnf'd or leclerc dnf'd at the beginning of a race well then russell dnf'd or hamilton qualified really poorly and got damaged and barely could climb back through the field and so it kept it so close just totally on random chance particularly in a season where I think both from crashes as well as engine reliability was like pretty much a non-factor. I mean, Ferrari, yes, had, had more issues down the stretch, but you look at those top three teams and it was like a, I mean, I would say by and large for all teams, one of the big trends this season was you just didn't see that many reliability issues as you have in, in prior seasons. And not a lot of big crashes either. Not at the front of the grid at least. Yeah. Um, and so, which I think honestly is kind of unfortunate and not at the, not the crash piece, but like the engine reliability, because I feel like that created so many yellow flags in prior seasons, right? Like didn't force the, the stewards to implement a red flag, kept a yellow flag condition. And then all of the drama that ensues yeah, following that. I, and so I, it just seemed very like, yeah, but very I, clean this whole season for better or for worse. I'd rather, I mean, I'd rather crashing be the result of challenging tracks and like hard racing than just lack of reliability. Cause then at engine some point failures. Like, yeah. Yeah. At some point that just gets a little bit like, man, it's not really like it's just teams doing a bad job. And like, I, I'd rather see it seems more random. Right. Right. Yeah. You saw yeah. that all so much with Alpine last season where it was like, yeah, just the team was dragged down by that. But, but, but to your point on the, sorry, going back to your point long ago on the race quality of Vegas, like, I mean, it's crazy to say this, but like it it was genuinely the only first place battle we had all year. And it was genuinely in question, especially in the first stint when Leclerc seemed to have better deg on those tires and he overtook Max on track. Like it seemed like he might have a run at him. Um, And if not for the timing of that safety car, he he may have been a lot even closer than he was. So um, it was it was a great race. Yeah. And and I don't know if. It's hard to say, right? Like part of me thinks the the quality of the racing was almost like a rain race in which the the conditions, the temperature, the newness of the asphalt was was such a factor that it it, it was an issue in qualifying. It, it led to kind of a mixed up grid and that led to some excitement. But I just thought the the physics of like the new track and the temperature were so interesting all weekend. And then that fed into a great, a great race. So I don't know if you ran that race in august at at noon if you're going to get the same kind of kind of intrigue as you did but fortunately i think i heard somewhere that like it's going to be they were looking at like moving it but at least in the schedule that's posted right now at on like the formula one app it's actually a week later yeah or two I, weeks I, later maybe the, than it is it is this season so the one, the I mean, one i heard into the exact same situation well the one i heard him super motivated on moving was qatar but other than that i i, I don't because it was so hot. But um, other than that, I I, yeah, I wasn't aware that they were going to. I did kind of think it was funny where people were like, are the cars even going to be able to like drive? Like they didn't even think about this. And like, dude, I hope seems it so overhyped. And t- dude, you had all these British people who don't know what real cold is like talking about, oh, you're going to all these sky sports commentators like, oh, yeah, bring your can of goose. Like, yeah, yeah it's going to be freezing. And then it's like, dude. I hope it freaking snows on you guys next year. I really do. And you actually know what real cold is. What did you think just about how like the city of Vegas 
managed it because I, I just felt like there was so many videos of like people filming themselves walking like those overpasses where like they were all blocked off and like security harassing those people like keep moving. And then there was images of like people recording the reflections off of a building to watch the race. Like, do you feel like they struck the good balance between having it be like approachable to the city or like, were they overly restrictive in terms of like how they, how they tried to control viewership? No, they, I mean, dude. Like, and how would you approach that if you were them in terms of like creating the right level of buzz and excitement rather than gatekeeping? Okay. So I, if I was a local in Vegas, I would have been furious. Like, obviously it was terribly disruptive. It was terribly disruptive to like your way of life, like for weeks leading up to it. And I'm sure after, cause they didn't just tear that shit down like immediately. The thing I didn't even realize until the race weekend happened is that the reason why they had the session time so late is because they had to reopen the strip during, like, they didn't have lower formulas racing on the track. They reopened the strip when they weren't racing on it because of how disruptive it was. Did you know that? I, I, it so was like, like foot yeah. traffic and all that and, like, access no, no, to no, different like, casinos and they, stuff? They, they reopened car traffic the on, road. The strip, oh, I didn't realize on, that. on the strip when they weren't in session. That's, oh, wow. That's... That's why they had to send everybody home. Remember that night for practice where they sent everybody home at like one thirty-two. Oh, I'm kind of glad thing? you brought that up. Oh, so that's because, that. and everybody was like, well, we have to, dude, the reason why they had to keep cramming and cramming is because they had a finite window of time because they had to re- reopen the public road. That's why everything was so late. They reopened it at like 6 a.m. Is that even so, worth it at that point? Or do you well, just that, say, that's the only way they it, we're planning off. for the event. Like, you think that's that was that could, necessary? No, nah, the city literally couldn't function. Like, you literally, you had to, that's, I mean, I don't think the city would have ever approved anything where they completely lost access to their largest, most high traffic road for, that, dude, that would be like New York agreeing to shut down Madison Avenue for like literally like a month. Like, but in New York, they could probably get away with it because they have a grid and so many different. But it's like, it's it's kind of crazy. So, so my thing, my overall point is, if I was a local, I would have been pissed, and I think it's totally justifiable. But also, Vegas is not a town for locals, and I know there's a lot of people that live in old city Vegas, and obviously people call everywhere hometown. Vegas is a city of tourists and entertainment, and being a, an entertainment hub for the world. And F1 leaned into it. I can't blame them. I got so sick of it. They price gouged the shit out of everything that weekend. I was disgusted by all the viewing barriers they like put up on all the bridges. Those videos of people like bursting through the barriers so they could watch like I thought was fucking hilarious. Like people rise up. Like I loved that. I was gonna say I'm not but, a I'm not a huge proponent of yeah. uh, labor protests, but I was all for those resort <laughs> organized protests. Sit in. <laughs> I'm on the march. I'm, yeah, I'm with you super, in spirit. Super glue your hand to the track, please. Yeah, I uh, I I got super sick of the price gouging. I laughed hysterically as ticket prices plummeted. Oh, I was av- I the was week like, of the race. yeah, like, yeah, five, like, like refresh. I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I was very much in a I want to see this burn mode as it came down, and like honestly sympathize with the European fan a little bit of just like you're exasperated with America overdoing F1 a little bit because they like. They like really took it a little too far, but it's, you know, it's your first. Well, I guess it's not the first time, but first time in a long time, you know, refreshed. I, I get it. Like it, 
and it did look like a cool spectacle. I mean, in in our original show nights, I wanted to ask you, how many times are we going to have to fucking hear about the sphere? And no matter what number we would have put on it, we would have underestimated it. Did you watch the Netflix cup, that golf thing they did that were like Carlos Lando and I mean, I didn't Alban watch it, they, but I'm aware it happened. You heard about it? Yeah, they like yeah. played like 2v2 golf with a bunch of pro golfers. I don't watch other people Bro, play golf. In between every shot, they showed that fucking spear because it literally overlooks the MGM like golf course or the Wynn golf course. I was just like, God, that. I mean, I well, look, if somebody gave me tickets to go to a concert there, I'd be through the moon because it'd probably be sweet. But like, we don't have to talk about it like every five minutes on the broadcast. Like, also... I would also, love. It's, a, <laughs> Go ahead. it's like at the end of the day, like it's not like a life saving miracle. Like it's just a big screen. I mean, like, it's people have a piece that, of engineering. Yes. It's interesting. It's unique. Like same as you, I would definitely like check it out one time, but I don't think it's like an earth shaping new innovation. That's going to change. Like, bro, it's like, a, you know, it's like the IMAX. It. Like let's they, fucking. They should have just put a rolling reel of every uh, month of the Botas ass calendar and just had them flipping like on loop. <laughs> yeah, whatever <laughs> they did, they've completely <laughs> underutilized the oh, potential. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but when you're making four hundred thousand dollars a freaking minute on advertising, uh, you know you got. Is that the rate? You, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, you got to be a little four hundred k a minute for exterior advertising on that thing. Yeah. God damn it! Can you imagine what, what F one paid them. I what mean, is Jesus. your, have you seen, um, I guess pivoting a little bit from the, cause I don't want to talk about the fucking spirit sphere anymore. Did you ever, was there any other follow up from those people being kicked out of what was it? The practice session or was it qualifying because they it went too late a, because they had to red they, flag it. Right. They gave them like a, like a 25 or $50, like, uh, to the fucking store, to the merchandise, merchandise. Voucher. What where, a, a 20, where $25 would get you a third of a hat. You, yeah. Like, you want to buy a third <laughs> of a hat instead of the event that you came for? Dude, what a crock of shit. <laughs> that, yeah. oh my God, I would be so livid. Yeah. yeah. And also like there were certain seats, would like there like, was even, <laughs> yeah, it's not enough to buy any single piece of swag so you actually have to spend more money than the amount that you were gifted to make it to take advantage of the credit you Dude, were given there were Slimy. so many there were oh. even there were so many grandstand seats that had impeded views like it was it was absurd like where there was like um because they had all the crazy lighting like led lighting on like a bunch of different straights and there were certain grandstand seats that i guarantee you people paid four or five grand for for weekend passes where there was like one of those like suspended like lighting rails that was literally like between your you and the track, like with track lighting on it. And you're like, this is a completely man-made structure that doesn't have to be here. That's sitting between me and the track. And I paid five fucking grand for these seats. Like if that was me, dude, I would have been throwing Molotov cocktails. Like I would have been so incensed. I, like I'm so glad I did not even think about going. Honestly, I so mad. On, I was tempted though, like close to like game day. Oh, I, I it was like, dang, this looked, and especially being it, like closer now, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a close flight. Was like I, two hour, two hour flight or less. I'd have thought about it too if I were you. Yeah, but I mean, I I felt the same way with like the the Packers Broncos game. Like we bought tickets and they were. They were expensive. And then you look at day up, and we needed ticket, right? Like my mom was in town. That was a thing we were doing. Like we had to have, have seats, but man, if you can wait till last second on games, it is 
Like, if you don't actually care about what's happening that much, it's it's a game changer. I mean, just buy last minute and it, you're saving. I mean, it's fifty percent off. Well, it's crazy. Several- Separately, we need to talk about the fact that you thought about paying money to go see Jordan Love throw a football, but that's a separate issue. Whoa, that's a, that's wow. a separate issue. Yeah. Uh, it's a little, it's a little sore subject as of late. If you would ask me three weeks ago, I would have happily engaged in in that conversation. But um, hey, look, you know, no, fuck that. No, we need to settle this right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let this Jordan Love slander happen on my watch. I'm actually. Happy with the offense, happy with Jordan Love, the fire our defensive coordinator chants are growing louder and louder. So I think hopefully that happens. But I'm I'm happy with Jordan Love, man. I think I think we're in fine we're Game in fine hands. Manager. Dude, that's that's all you need. You just that is need not, that a is game. not all you need unless you have Kyle Shanahan calling your offense. It's not all you need. There's literally one instance of that's all you need, and that's in San Francisco. And that's literally the only instance of that I can think of in the last like decade. You're not on, you're not on the Jordan Love train? No. No. I'm on the Love train. No, he's very average to me. You're not feeling the love? No, I'm not. You're no. a hater, bro. But then again, the train that I'm on, Trevor Lawrence, has also been incredibly average. So, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, Injury and, and whatnot doesn't help. So Yeah, and his – they've had some boneheaded play calling. But anyway. So you're big on the Jags then, huh? You're all you're all That's in on Jags boys. life. I got yeah, Trevor and Travis Etienne. Yeah, I'm I'm like fully a Jags fan for sure. I I, I think I've watched most of all of their game, like every one of their games this year. What happened I, to Amari Rodgers? What happened to Amari Rodgers? Listen, man, I don't Fucking speak for all my bust. alumni. Okay, I don't speak for all of them. <laughs> you just pick okay? and choose. I see. Yeah, I just pick and choose the ones that have a significant role in their team. Also, did you see that play T Higgins made on Sunday? Sunday against the or <sighs> Saturday against bro? Come on. And they're about to pay Jamar Chase and get and let him walk. Give me a break. You kidding me? Like, I think they're keeping the wrong guy. That's just me. I was gonna say you've, it seems like you've pivoted focus to NFL in absence of any notable college football I, success. I, honestly, huh? I don't know what you, you're talking about. We're basketball school now, so <laughs> you've packed your Clemson bags. We're real top. Quick. We're top twenty. We're ranked <laughs> in basketball. Look it's very that. fungible. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. What. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On to the next one. All right. Well. We are not a football podcast, um, as even though we are probably even more informed about football. Way more informed about football. <laughs> Way more. Not even close. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we covered off on Vegas pretty well. So, I mean, are you – that being said, like, we were both – I was certainly a hater going into it. Track, not as bad as I thought. I thought the yeah. extension of DRS zones really helped. They had three DRS zones, am I correct? Yep. I think yeah. that helped. Overall, far better than I thought. So, I mean, and it, and yeah, and it didn't feel like the overtaking was fake or overly manufactured. It actually felt like it led to some real racecraft, which I appreciated. And that I especially was not expecting. So, well, I think yeah. surprisingly, there were certain turns that like afforded some more dynamic lines than like a lot yeah. of street tracks, right? Like the yep, sweeping because totally. it was so wide. Turn. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So wide. I think it yeah. struck a nice balance between like a a, uh, a street track structure, but still maintaining the space and having like a diversity of corners unlike Singapore, which just feels like a it, bunch of 90 degree turns. Do, uh, do we need to talk about Abu Dhabi? I, I just like was so bored at this race. I, I just didn't, it just felt like a parade to me. Like, well, and I, honestly it felt like a parade and I guess it was, I felt a bit disappointed because this felt like the first race of the season 
where they actually talked about like the battle for second during the race. Look, I get it. They pre-race, pre-race, post-race, they'll talk about like point standings and whatever. But as I've made my point previously, in a sport where you have a gross lack of parity, right? Like we talked about football. The NFL is so incredibly successful because of the parity of competition. Any given Sunday, a team can win or lose. And that creates intrigue and people willing to tune into whatever game is happening. F1 does not have that this season more so than even the Mercedes dominant seasons. And I think it's an imperative for the sport to keep people engaged is you got to highlight those secondary and tertiary storylines. And it wasn't until Abu Dhabi that they actually did. But I thought for what they were given in terms of actual like race intrigue, they did a really good job from a production standpoint of hyping up the importance and the the drama of like where does Perez finish to look relative to Leclerc and Russell and well how are Hamilton and Sainz battling and what are the implications given like they're tied right now and what like I think they need to extrapolate that more in seasons before the final race of the year to keep to keep people interested because let's be honest like you're right it was not that interesting any of these races because what were they really fighting for other than second, third, fourth, fifth. So I, I thought from that standpoint, the production and like the commentary was really good, but yeah, it was, it left a lot to be desired. But again, I think at least, you know, Verstappen aside, you had like some intrigue with Perez and Leclerc and, and Russell and strategy. And, and so that, that was fun to watch, but I mean, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit par for the course. Any other, any other takeaways? I mean, the only time I really got like glued to it uh, was at the end when Leclerc was like trying to intentionally tank his pace to, to, you know, to win the constructors. It obviously didn't. Basically, it was like a it was like a whole lot of drama that was like flashed up really quickly at one a couple specific points in the race that then all ended up netting out to no changes in the constructor standing. So it was like a bit of a, a bit of a tease. But uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me in this race was, I guess, a contrast to the previous race. Right. And where one Verstappen gets a five second penalty for for running somebody wide in this race. Turn one, he runs Leclerc wide. No penalty. I I think, again, that subjectivity, there's a gross lack of consistency here. And let's be honest, even at a five second penalty, it is 100 percent worth it for Leclerc or for Verstappen to run any opponent as wide as necessary because he's going to clear them by more than five seconds. So again, I don't think you can have penalties based on like their impact or whatever. So I don't know what the right solution is, but a five second penalty for a dominant car like that means nothing. If I was him, I would be pushing a driver wide turn one every single time, but he didn't even get that. And, and I thought that that was bullshit. I mean, look, we're as much of Verstappen Red Bull homers as anybody, but you he didn't even make the turn. How, how can a driver not get a penalty for not making a turn and pushing another driver off track? Right. Like, so I thought that was bullshit right out of the gate and they do nothing but hurt the, the excitement of the race. Cause that would have been awesome to see Leclerc in front of her stop in and for however long that battle lasted, albeit probably not long. So I thought that was stupid and they need to, they need to look at that a little bit better. But other than that, it was, it was pretty, pretty uneventful. Well, with that then, you know, Abu Dhabi aside, obviously that brought the season 
to a close, I think just to recap very briefly, where did 2023, let's start with constructors first, because <laughs> I will note, we're going to reconcile to our like preseason predictions. And we, we made it all the way through constructors, but for whatever reason, <laughs> we stopped at like, in terms of driver predictions, like P6 and P7, like we didn't even go all the way through the grid. So we were just fucking lazy. <laughs> So let's at least start with constructors. I mean, so ending the season, Red Bull won with 860 points. That was 100 points better than they did on the prior year. Mercedes came P2 up from P3 from the prior year. They came in with um four, you know, 400 points, Ferrari just behind them, P3, McLaren 302 points. They had a massive improvement, basically doubled their points from the prior year. Aston Martin, they had 55 points last year, came in P5 overall, and they got 280 points this year, followed by Alpine, who was fourth last year, big decline. Williams from 10th to 7th this year. AlphaTauri, basically unchanged, 9th to 8th eighth this year. Um, followed by Alfa Romeo and Haas bringing up the year on the seat for this year. Let's talk about where our predictions landed. I think first three, one, two, three, we nailed Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari. Some of us nailed them more than others though. Well, let's say, well, let's be, well, (laughs) let's debate who really nailed it more than others, you know? Um, I mean, I think on Red Bull for both of us, we we kind of nailed it. I mean, Red Bull was going to dominate, but you made the prediction, was this year going to be more dominant than last year? They won by 205 points the prior year. This year, 860 to what? I think 409. I think I fucked this up, but 400, yeah, they, basically 400 and some odd they points. They doubled their margin of victory, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, you crushed that. And I went back and look at the episode. I just totally flippantly was like, I'll take the under <laughs> like, like no forethought. I also, that. I realize yeah. when making like predictions that you're not actually making bets, it's a pretty low risk. So yeah. fuck it. I don't give a shit, <laughs> which <laughs> basically uh, was basically my entire predictive strategy in all of this. So, uh, but yeah, you nailed it, man. They, they exceeded the points. However, I will say when talking about Red Bull, I was the one who called out the biggest risk to their dominance was Perez. And I will note while You're later right, yeah. you mentioned, you know, Norris rumors to Red Bull being very loud. You nailed that as well. Well, they, they crept up a little bit. You never really said why that would be the case, um, but at least I, I called was scared out of the truth. You were scared of the truth being a, a yeah. Perez homer. And at least I yeah. called out that that there was some risk to their dominance in Perez's seat. But I, I will give you, you the I'll give you the plus on that. You nailed I, the dominance. And and so credit to you there. I have this has not been a good season for a, being a Perez fan. And it started so, so strong uh, and then just totally went tits up. So uh I, I'm I'm not off the Perez train. He's still a driver that I cheer for, but I I I'm not gonna advocate for um him to be anything other than what he is currently shown to be. Yeah, I will cheer a, for him. I would like him to driver. I would like him to be highly successful and challenge Max, but 
that does not meet my expectations. Um, what I want to happen is probably not what will happen, which I think, again, perfectly defines my betting strategy, which is why I do not gamble because it has nothing to do with likely outcomes and 100% to what I want to happen, um, which is not a good betting strategy. So look, I'll say overall, I think you nailed this season in a lot of places. I've done my best in show notes to minimize the disparity between my and your predictive ability. But let's be honest, throughout this entire thing, I think you, especially on the big predictions later, you you nailed it. But I think I got constructors pretty, I got constructors pretty good. You got like very targeted pr- predictions, very correct. But let's talk about Mercedes. A little bit of disparity here. I think I got you here. You said, look, they're going to start the season in third, but they're going to take and and be third up to summer break. Ferrari, therefore, would be second up until summer break. But you thought Mercedes would pass Ferrari after summer break. I took the position that I thought Mercedes would pass them before summer break, and they did. So Mercedes ended up passing them earlier in the season, albeit we both called it that Mercedes would would finish second. And I I think we both nailed it, which was look, Mercedes, albeit they're going to start a little bit behind, they're just going to have a better development trajectory. And I think it honestly, to me, it felt like it was less about better drivers. Yes. I think they had better reliability all season long. And at the end of the day, I actually think it was less about the development trajectory and more about the relative strengths of each car. Right. Again, Ferrari having degradation issues, issues on like high speed tracks. And so I think early in the season, again, it probably favors a, it's more of a Ferrari type schedule. And then the back half of the season favors uh, Mercedes more. But again, Mercedes didn't allow themselves to slip that much and, and ended up passing Ferrari before the summer break. So I got you there. All right, Ferrari. Interestingly, we said that well, we kind of covered that, right? They're going to finish third the coverage. But I think you said, we talked a lot about Ferrari strategy. And I think you said, you know, we talked about whether or not they would have more or less strategy mistakes than the prior season. And you thought, hey, they probably have about two or three races that were severely impacted by strategy errors. Where, Look, we didn't fucking do the math on this and go back and audit every race and whether or not it was strategy or not, but which I found most of our predictions uh, were safe due to lack of verifiability. Um, <laughs> love it. But what did you think in terms of Ferrari and the effectiveness of their strategy and the overall impact that it had this season? You feel like you were right in that kind of two to three race race races yeah. that, that it was impactful? They had that. St- they had that kind of st- the stint early in the season before the summer break, where the drivers were seemingly dictating strategy from the cockpit, and mm. it just was super chaotic. Um, but it didn't necessarily lead to bad outcomes it, either. It, most of the time, they had some pit stop timing things and questions of tire strategy. But yeah, I don't think they like shit their pants. I I wish I had gone back and done the research on that. It waned off in the second half of the year for sure, and like you. Maybe got the sense that like the Vassar kind of calming effect was maybe finally starting to kind of settle in a little bit. So yeah, it it felt less pronounced in the second half of the year. Um, yeah, I I think you probably hit it right on. Of there was probably two to three races where they did stupid things. They didn't, but but honestly, it felt like I, I didn't really notice many points this season where 
Ferrari strategy was a focal point. Honestly, if you look back at the season, it was it was engine rely. It was not even engine. It was car reliability, right? Because even the Leclerc crash on the formation lap was a was a hydraulic issue. And so it seemed like it was car reliability and a couple of driver instances, but credit to the team this year really wasn't strategy, strategy errors. And I think, I think part of what was helpful was it does seem like they have that, that very strong bias towards whoever succeeds in qualifying in a given race weekend is our preferred driver. And, and I think that worked for them. So I, you know, whether or not you like that strategy or not, at least they have one and they stuck to it throughout most of the season. And I think, you know, honestly, if it wasn't for reliability issues or fucking Vegas track issues, they would have, they would have beat Mercedes this season. So, um, they were, they were right in it. All right. Let's talk about, uh, <sighs> let's, let's relish this moment here. Um, I believe your exact words in predicting the outcome for McLaren this season were uh, taken from Jim Cramer as sell, sell, sell. You thought they had so, a historically bad testing. I was Norris so right wasn't happy. The car was not well planted. They had brake issues, didn't meet development targets, on and on and on. What, well, let me ask you, what is more impressive Aston Martin's off-season development leap or McLaren's intra-season development leap? Because I, I mean, find I, what McLaren did unprobable. I would I would agree. I think McLaren's I think just anytime you have split focus and you're trying to walk and chew gum at the same time is more impressive than the fact that you you were kind of able to reset, you had a totally new design. Like you should expect expect improvements from that. But the fact that McLaren, I mean, yeah, mid mid uh, summer break, they were at the back, like lost, totally very lost. lost. And they finished fourth. I mean, that's, and they, they basically doubled their points total from last season. Crazy. Well, you nailed the, so you were up until summer break. You were, you were 100% right. Like you had it. Aston was crushing (laughs) it. Fucking McLaren sucked. Like you were, I was looking at it like, dear God, I don't want this season to end. We have to have this conversation with you. I'm just going to be run through the mud. (laughs) Well, to be fair to you, you had them seven. So you didn't exactly have them dominating the season, but you did call out the strong, strong relative performance of Piastri, which could not have been more true. Um, he was extreme, which I was particularly happy about because he actually looked questionable in testing. Like, you know, a couple of little incidents, a couple of little spins, like, Oh man, I'm not sure this is going well, but I mean, credit to him. He absolutely came out and crushed it and did everything you could possibly want a rookie to do. And then some winning a not race sprint race. So good, good for him. And, and he was a huge, I mean, honestly, if you look at the difference between him versus Ricardo, like he kind of was the difference maker. I don't know that McLaren's relative performance was all that different. They just had another, they just had another driver who was in the points consistently. Which I mean, they Ricardo were, they never were, was. They were genuinely the fastest car on merit at some tracks, which they did not do in 2022. Fair. Um, it felt like so. they were more consistent last season they just had a it just seemed like they had a driver who was never there while one was always there whereas this season it was just shit for the first half and both drivers 
stepped up in the in the back half. So yeah, that that stretch of like Silverstone and then or Spa and Austria, like and the high speed corners. I mean, they were just flying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, which is fascinating to see because I yeah I, I was with you. I mean, we both looking at testing had them relatively far down the grid. So good good for them. Aston Martin now. I mean, you were all on the hype train, had them, what, all the way up into fourth from seventh the year prior. And I will note, as much as you were on the hype train, I correctly had them in fifth place. So did I win that or did you? Can we can we read the fine print of my prediction that says, total improvement except stroll was my <laughs> was my prediction, which I freaking nailed. I saw the like that is the synopsis side. to the team. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> total improvement except stroll. Dad might sell team. That is all you need to know about. Well, let, while we're here, let's let's talk about that because you did have the prediction that Aston Martin will finish fourth. Stroll sells the team while at a high valuation. Stroll gets the boot, and Alonso and Ricardo lead the 2024 lineup while Dude. some of that is still tbd it is worth noting like news did happen that stroll is ex- you know exploring selling the team to saudi arabia so the fact that you even predicted that as a thing was very well done so credit to you on that one i i mean lance stroll is the reason he is the only reason they are not fourth he is the reason they should have beaten McLaren. I mean, Alonzo outscored him by almost 200 points. Yeah, it's what, like in 22 the points was the difference to McLaren? And, I mean, and at the beginning of the season, it was, you got a dude on the podium and these guys aren't even in the points. So, I mean, if he's getting 7th oh, and 8th consistently, oh, Alonzo Aston had, Martin is 4th. He Alonzo had 8 podiums and Stroll had 0. 0. Didn't even sniff one. Like, and it wasn't I mean, even until what that last race hardly where literally he, he kind of showed up. In, definition of like a backdoor cover. Like, dude, yeah. get out of here! Like, <laughs> hey, what do you mean? You saw that race, right? <laughs> God, yeah, I know. Anyway, all right. Well, so I mean, do we look, have to overall, talk about the rest of these scrubs. <laughs> Well, I think it's worth talking about. I mean, I think we were both surprised by the Alpine decline. I mean, yeah, I for sure. when you looked at last season, their failures seemed to be 100% engine reliability. I mean, they were in a lot of races, in the points in a lot of races, and it was engine DNFs well, why they weren't in the points. And so I, I was so confident that Alpine was going to be in the mix this season and by and large, they were just nowhere to be found. Well, they solved the engine reliability issues, and then they just had an engine performance deficit. Like they, I don't know if it's because of what they had to do to solve the engine reliability issue, but like they just, it's like they were fighting with an arm behind their back, like the entire season. Well, and part of me thought like it, it's almost like they're, they're trying to be because there was sort of this exception in the rules where, well, if you have engine reliability issue, while there's this engine freeze. You know, if you're having engine reliability issues, you know, then you can introduce improvements. And so I thought, oh, yeah, our engine shit, like we got to do something to fix it. But it just seemed like you're right. They never actually fixed the the performance. 
and they just had to turn the engines down to prevent prevent reliability issues. And and so that means they were with the introduction of Aston Martin into the points in a lot of races, they were they were bumped. And so yeah, they they had the biggest they had a pretty significant drop this season, you know, down from fourth to to sixth place, which was surprising for both of us. So we we missed there. The other big miss that we had was I think we have to call them out. While we talked about the the growth of McLaren and Aston Martin this season, not to be outdone, Williams from 10th place on the grid to 7th. I mean, where does that rank in terms of impressiveness? While I get like, you know, mid-season development, off-season development, Williams just climbed the order from last to 7th. Where, where do you put that in comparison? Yeah, but, okay, so hats off, but also like, they climbed to the bottom of like they climbed from the bottom of the trash heap of bottom feeder teams to the top of the trash heap of bottom feeder teams. So they and there's literally almost a hundred points between them and the very mediocre Alpine team that finished in front of them. So like let's not get too carried away on like don't call it a comeback uh, story. Um, and the teams that they beat, I mean. Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, and Haas could not have each individually had more uninspiring of a season. So I, I, I question whether I mean obviously I don't want to take anything away from Albon, but I question whether this is more of a statement about just how pitifully the other three teams around them performed. And Williams designed a one-trick pony car and leaned into it this year, kind of a worse version of last year's Alpine, which is like, it's just going to be a rocket ship in a straight line and we're going to score at certain tracks and not at most others. And that's all we can do. So like, yes. Okay. But I also don't know that it's some crowning achievement of engineering prowess. Like if you're, you're which James is interesting Bowers, though, obviously moving in the right direction, but still. Well, I totally agree with you. And it's just interesting because they have like almost the opposite philosophy to like the, the Ferrari, sort of family cars, right? Alfa Romeo and Haas, which is like higher deg, better on like street tracks, et cetera. So they went the other end of the spectrum and clearly just based on the structure of the calendar, that's better. But I think it's even less of a product of those bottom four teams. And just the fact that if you have five good teams now with the introduction of Aston Martin, like it's just really hard for any of these teams to score points. Like the the back half teams, like Alvatore scored 35 points last season, 25 this season. Alfa Romeo, 55 this season, 16 this season. Haas, 37 last season, 12 this season. Points were just very hard to come by if you were a backmarker. And so it was one or two races here or there, right? Like Williams beat Alvatore by three points. Williams beat Alfa Romeo by 12, right? Like, And then Haas by 16. Like that's a couple of races here and there. So, I mean, the margins were just so much finer for those backmarker teams this year. Yeah, and I mean, they're all severely less capitalized than the teams in front of them. If you're betting on one of them, well, that's an interesting question of which of those four backmarker teams would you bet on to most likely make a leap next year? I could honestly see a case for AlphaTauri based on some of the changes that they're discussing to that, you know, the parts they're using for Red Bull and the organizational leadership. I don't, I'm not going to bet against Williams, but I think that there's just going to be more of a slow trickle over time, steadily getting back into the midfield more than like the potential for a leap. Like, I just don't see that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to see a world where like any of those last four teams become a, 
a big competitor, but I would agree with you. I think Williams and Alphatari continue to be well positioned for next year. I just feel like Alfa Romeo is in this weird, like holding pattern. Like we're just holding a spot on the grid basically and, and waiting for 2026 and, and sort of new ownership, et cetera. And then Haas is just Haas. Can we find <laughs> something else for Gene Haas to do with this time? Like I just, I we just, I, we just get rid of him. Like, give him an NFL team. They, you know, like, give him something. Like, I, I'm just so sick of him in the sport. He's so pointless, and he just, yeah. Ugh. Well, I, I know we're going to get to some other, like, off-season predictions, so maybe I'll save my comment on on Haas for that. That might be my my one. But, you know, we talked about Williams, and then, yeah, look, Alphatari, Alfa Romeo, Haas, we were kind of just all wrong on them. I will, I'll be honest here. I think uh, my biggest failure in predictions was I was on the Nick DeVries hype train. I thought he was. Go- I thought he was going to do really well this season. But look, I don't. I know there were some people who were like, "Well, he he didn't really do that good in lower formula. He's not that great." But I don't know that anybody really predicted the total lack of performance that DeVries displayed at the beginning of the season. So. I mean, that was a little bit un- unfortunate, unfortunate to see. Yeah. Damn. I also remember making the prediction that Ricardo does not end up with a drive anywhere. That was markedly wrong on the back of my, my DeVries take. So I missed the mark a little bit there. It's all right, man. You know, sometimes you got to bleed to know you're alive. Keep shooting your shot, G. I'll, I'll, I'll encourage you. Well, with that said, I think, um, look, you had the most well-picked kind of like out-of-the-box predictions, but I had lower deviation in my constructor's predictions than you. So I don't know what we should take from that, but you're more of the uh, sort of the black swan random I'm Random a incidents and, You're and like I'm a, more of the I'm more of the indexer, right? I took a diversified right. approach on constructor yeah. performance and uh, yep. you know, beat you out there a little bit. But as we look into this offseason, we're not gonna get into like what's gonna happen next year. We'll save that for a, a following episode. But now that we are in the off season, what um what exciting news, announcements, surprises are you anticipating over the next couple of months? Well, uh, overall, we have the recipe in the makings of a very boring offseason. All right. Mm. There's no major regulation changes. Uh, there's no driver lineup changes. Everybody has got their seat back. For the first um, time in like, I don't yeah. know, is that ever or a long time? I don't know what the statistic can is. Be, but. Can't be ever, but like doesn't happen often uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, so my prediction is that there's seldom an F1 offseason that goes without, you know, news. And so my prediction is that if you're not going to have turmoil in the drivers, you got to have turmoil in team leadership. And I think that Red Bull is going to push Helmet Marco out. Hmm. Whoa. That's he's good news. 80. What do you think? He's, why he's why do you believe that? Well, first off, he's 80, and every time I see him on camera, he looks closer to death. I mean, the guy, like, one of his eyes is, like, that way, and he's just, like, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, like, he looks, he looks, like, old, like, geriatric. I mean, he he and Joe Biden, like, are, 
you know, and I like they're close, closely akin in terms of their the the view, how much they seem to grasp like the reality around them, which is not much. Uh, so, uh, and honestly, dude, like he is, it's like, if you see like an interview with Bernie Ecclestone now, you're like, dude, you are one misplaced interview question away from being severely canceled. Like, (laughs) but but in his case, he has delivered those interview responses repetitively and has not, he doesn't even need the question. Yeah. He he doesn't even need, no, I mean, I'm talking he he's 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 so senile he's become immune to like basic things that would get like a normal upstanding person canceled but he's going to rock up and say something you're be like oh this dude is like actually a real bad guy well and i guess so, so, so i think so he's, controversy also, I, just to just yeah, finish the point i think some of it also is a result of the fact let's not forget that Dietrich Mattershits died during this past season and so there is turnover in the highest brass of Red Bull for the first time in the company's history. That's not a small deal, right? And like the ripples of those sorts of leadership changes and the power dynamics that shift and people's preferences about where their brand should be prominent, where it should not. Like you just never know. I think that Marco was very close with Dietrich Mattershits and um, it wouldn't surprise me if they framed it in a very uh soft landing type of way or it's amicable and he's just stepping away from his duties or whatever. I could also see something like that getting really messy just because of who Helmut Marco is. But like he is kind of Max Verstappen not that Max Verstappen needs champions within the team, but like Marco, his name is on Max Verstappen. He's the one that identified him early. Like he's just you can't ignore how connected he is. And so as a known quantity and power broker in F1, like him being pushed out or moving out is significant. Like that's my it's, ac- it's actually an interesting take. I, it, it seems probable for no other reason than the fact that like, if I was 80, look, I am not going to be doing none of this shit. <laughs> like, go, I go am, grow some grapes in Northern. Dude, I am out. Yeah. Like take yeah. the, uh, yeah. The Bonato so, approach. Yeah. Take the Bonato retirement plan and go live your best life. I know there was some commentary from Horner and them that was like, oh, that's totally unfounded. But I guess beyond just age and lack of political correctness, I would argue, you know, highlighted by this season, if he's the one leading like driver development programs, has that been successful outside of Max, outside of Max Verstappen in the last 10 years? What has been the marker of success? Because I would argue as bad as Gasly and Albon looked at those times, they certainly look good at Alpine and Williams. So like, was that a premature decision to move on from good drivers? And now you're sitting here juggling between Sonoda and Ricardo and Lawson, who's hardly driven at all. So it, it just seems like almost mismanagement of your your pool of drivers. And now you don't actually have somebody who could step in when the likes of Perez are are struggling significantly. So it's even fulfilling the responsibilities of his job effectively. So I think there's credible, credible reasons as to why he, he, he wouldn't stay on beyond just talking points. You think Albon would have been closer to max in this Red Bull than Perez? I think so. I mean, I, I think part of this season was interesting because it has not been covered nearly as much as I think it has, but like there's been some weird shit going on with Pirelli and the tires. 
they've continued to with the introduction of like these bigger tires where have you seen anywhere this season a strategy where somebody goes long on a one stopper it's not there and i think perez really capitalized under a regime where you had tires where if you want to take it to the it, it seemed like they had a longer band of usefulness whereas the tires today have a much more narrow define like band of effectiveness and drop off really rapidly. So you have less strategic flexibility. And so I think partially that impacted Perez negatively because that was his forte that no longer really exists. And so that was an issue. I think honestly, Albon did Albon same story struggled in qualifying, but had a lot of decent race performances. And so do I think he would have been as good as Perez, a very seasoned driver right out of the gate? No, but again, we talked about Jordan Love and this difference of, do you throw a first round draft pick into a starting QB job right out of the gate? Or is it beneficial to have him sit and be mentored for three years? I think Albon has shown that with a little bit of mentorship, he'd do a phenomenal job. And so I was more surprised by his firing. I feel like Gasly was just in a tough spot. It was like when you're getting lapped at Austria by your teammate, it's just such a bad look that we can't go with it. But again, you do Gasly like that. You do Albon like that. Like you just, you sort of deplete the pool and then you're taking a Perez who wasn't from your driver program. And then who's next to like, right? Like where are you actually giving drivers from your development program an opportunity? You're not giving Lawson an opportunity. You've given Ricardo an opportunity over him. So it just seems like that's not actually being effectively managed. And if I was an F2 prospect, why am I signing up with Red Bull versus another team at this point? I mean, Lawson's got some promise, but like he's the exception, not the rule. But I would argue he should be in the car next year and, and he should have continued to be in the car this year. And that was not the decision. So I, well, I, I would argue he should be in the car next year as well. And Perez should be at home and Ricardo should be on the front team, but Hey, that's just, you know, me. So why are we going to ruin a great conversation over uh, such a contentious? Now I agree to disagree on, on that particular point, but again, I, I think it's a good point on terms of, I don't know that Marco's doing the job. Like he's not yeah, finding the vet. He's not finding the Vettel and the Verstappen anymore. He found Verstappen. He so how long do you keep a man on the payroll for finding your golden goose who's still laying eggs? I don't know. But just waiting with bated breath for him to say something anti-Semitic. Yeah, I'm 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 not. You're not there for that. You're, nope, cut, not cut your here losses. Yeah. Look, I, I think um, you know, well, I don't think it's a thing to happen this season. I mean, I think obviously with all of the controversy that happened postseason with Susie Wolf and Toto Wolf and conflicts of interest, I think some interesting like contention between FOM and FIA. And I don't know, it'll actually yield the position teams, but like it seemed like a very unforced error by Ben Suleiman to have this be an issue and sort of, it seems like exacerbating legitimate tensions over like the introduction of another team and the commercial implications. Like that's like a legitimate thing to have gripes over, but then you're going to like exacerbate that further with, Something that largely seemed totally unsubstantiated, completely unclear as to what the actual like accusation was, and presumably it had to do with the F1 Academy, which has, let's be honest, 
zero significance whatsoever. So what was all of this for? Dude, you got Susie Wolf, who has a sterling, unvarnished reputation, I think, amongst the F1 paddock, who's leading a program to boost the participation of women in Formula One, and you're going to find a way to throw shit at her? As a way of throwing a middle finger. Like, what to about the to, like totally right? undermining whatever what? sort of stated like, intentions you have? If you didn't have a concrete slam dunk case closed, like case, what the hell were you thinking? And I've heard the whole like theory that it's just a part of this like secret war between the FIA and the commercial rights holders and Liberty that's been warring for time and. You know, they're going to renegotiate the uh, Concord agreements in 2026 and the FIA's funding is governed by that. And so they're fighting because they want more. And yeah, yeah. Even if all that's true, really, you're going to decide to use Susie Wolf as a pawn in that political objective. Well, I would say particularly if all of that is true, it was a stupid decision. Like, yes. Why are you stirring up the Hornerness? Because all that did was give a perfect platform for all of the teams to sort of stand in unity against They did the impossible. They united literally every single team on the grid. Like, that is literally impossible. Congratulations, Muhammad. I I am becoming more and more akin to the fact that I think he might be an incompetent person. Or, Or just, like, has way too much hubris and just, like, is trying to do more with that seat then he should, and he's going to shoot himself in the foot as a result. Like, I, 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 yeah. Well, I guess what's what's fascinating is, and I, I'll be honest, I, I started to do some research, and, and I haven't gotten to the point where I'm, like, confident in the knowledge, but, you know, the, the whole story with, like, FIA versus FOM was, like, a European commission demanding the separation of these, the regulatory and the commercial interests due to conflict of interests in that, but one of the like the structural things I find so interesting is that technically like the FIA controls like the naming and the rights to Formula One versus the commercial entity. Wait, they're and, not just a regulator? Like they don't just regulate no, the rules? No, I think at least what I've read was like, because there was talk of like, well, can they totally like uh, exercise the the FIA and can Liberty and FOM like basically reinstitute another another governance body from at least from what I've read, like the FIA like controls the formula one brand. And it's like, they've like leased basically the commercial rights to some other entity. And so it's not like they could just totally cut out the FIA, which I find completely weird why the like commercial entity wouldn't control all of that. And then you can have whatever fucking regulatory third party you want. Like, but the, the fact that they control any kind of commercially valuable part of the entity, well, as if as odd. if you, yeah, I mean, I, you, yeah, I mean, th- there's all different types of governance structures out there that can work for this type of thing. But you'd think that if you cared about, um, you want the organization that's responsible for safety in your sport in a sport like F1 to have a seat of power, no doubt about it. And, and there's untold benefit from the fact that the FIA has had that power, uh, especially since the nineties. Uh, so yes, but also like 
if they're going to influence the teams and the and the commercial right holders of Formula One to do things that are in the name of safety and nothing else, they do need a chip to play with. They need some chips in their corner. Yeah, but it so seems like the you brand can't just neuter them and make them. It seems just like the brand only. entity itself, though. That's weird. That's weird. Is a, weird. Is a strong weird. lever to yeah. to vest with them. So yeah, that that's weird. So yeah. so from that standpoint, like it seems like it's not severable, right? Like you'd have to get a leadership well, change, but it's not like you, I don't see these two entities parting because of that. But also, why do they have to be separate entities? Is the other well, question. that's one it's of the like, things I was questioning is it, what was the real like conflicts yeah. of interest that this whole like European Commission decision I mean, was dude, really mitigating? What the NFL what are we rules talking about here? is totally commingled with what its other sport is has a no, separated. I, I can't think of one. And what, like, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Conflicts of interest. Okay. So they might advantage one team or, but like, then but, wouldn't you have, but, a, but then the criticism of the NFL on the contrary is like, if they had an independent governing body that was, had owned issues and rules around safety, you know, the treatment of concussions in the NFL would probably look a lot different today. So like it, it's, you know, there's some benefits to it that we probably don't know and see and feel, but uh, you know, but I guess the entities that, make up the commercial interest of the sport you would expect to have well the control but i guess the foresight to want rules and regulations that are going to create you know equality with like all of the things you would aspire in a regulatory body you would think the teams would also have that interest and so that's that's where the fact that they have to be separate any anyway seems like an odd odd decision like I'm not even clear what conflicts of interest they're really mitigating the same way. I'm not sure what sort of conflicts they thought they were mitigating with Susie and Toto Wolf. Also, if you like, did they not anticipate that as being a potential issue when she was getting yeah, that dude. job? My, so my, like my view is like, if, 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 that, you, if that, if that was going to be an issue, why did she even have yeah, that job to begin with? Exactly. If you, you cannot complain about it post in retrospect, if you care that much about it, then it should have been a policy before you gave her the fucking There's job. There's no way you're actually mitigating yeah. those conflicts of interest inter-household. Dude, like, that's how it works at companies, man. If you don't want two people in positions of leadership being married, being sharing You don't get that job. You, you don't work you in that business. don't give them the fucking job. And if exactly. they get married while they're in the jobs, then you find them another job. Like That's, that's just, to me the, that's to me the point them. that made it feel so unforced, whereas like, if it was really a problem, she wouldn't have had the job to begin with. And so at some point yeah. in like the initial assessment, somebody said, this is not a problem that we're going to keep this person from, from this job. So right. it, it, again, totally unforced, unnecessary controversy that the FIA was a big loser on. What'd you got for me? Yeah. You did some research. Well, I'm reading. Um, yeah. So basically the two governing bodies are the FIA and the Formula One management, which is FOM, which includes the commercial rights holders. And so basically it says in the early days of Formula One, the FIA was responsible for organizing and promoting races. However, when Bernie Eggleston took over in 1978, he arranged all teams into an association called Formula One Constructor Association. This gave him control over most aspects of racing, such as TV rights. And then FOCA became a limited liability company called FOM Limited, which later changed its name to Formula One Administration Limited. Da, da, da. Today, it's simply known as Formula One Management or FOM. So, Susie Wolf works for a subsidiary of FOM, which controls a, a driver development program for women. So, presumably, as a result of that position, has access to potentially confidential information that is um, 
has more has more to do with the general interest of F1 commercially than maybe even just the female driver development program. So like she's on the inside of that company and then presumably may have information about it's in which case either as a part of the initial assessment, would you not, you know, wall her off from some exposure to non academy type conversations or not her grant her that role. If you knew that a person sitting in that position would be afforded insight into broader. Right. And so, so basically historically over time, the FIA who owns the safety aspect of the sport was responsible for other commercial elements of the sport, like organizing and promoting races. And over time, mostly through Bernie, the things that the FIA owned have progressively been neutered over time and realigned to the commercial rights holders in the name of profitability. And so I think that's where a lot of the historical bad blood comes from is like probably this longstanding trend of the FIA being minimized to some degree. And, and, you know, maybe the long-term trajectory is like they don't need to be an independent body anymore because it just is overly politicized and fucking confusing. So I don't know, but that's, 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 that's my quick Google. That is the most research that we've ever done on this show. So look at that. Well, it says like FIA FOM collects money through licensing fees and corporate sponsorships. Duh. However, its primary source of revenue comes from selling broadcast rights. So yeah, cause yeah. Uh, FOM's the Liberty Media entity, obviously. Um, and then they obviously have now, like the Vegas race example, do certain ventures into actual race organization itself, which is something the FIA has no involvement in anymore. So, yeah, they've, they've uh, sold that basically to Liberty, right? Or to whatever entity. And then Liberty bought that from somebody. Well, Bernie reorganized that responsibility and then Liberty ended up buying the entity that was responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting if, if more controversy continues through the off season, look, the off season so short, I doubt anything's going to change. I mean, if anything, I think probably the most likely news that we get is, is some kind of update on Andretti because one, what else are they working on right now? And two, it's getting awfully damn close for somebody to stand up an entire formula one race team infrastructure and I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be signing checks to break ground Doing on it, things yeah. until no. I'm getting approval. And so I, I don't think it's going it, to happen. It feels like it's getting to the point where it's like it certainly wouldn't be happening by 2026. It, it's it's only going to happen if they buy their way in and and they take over another grid slot. And uh, to that to me is like Gene Haas, step on up, buddy tender your offer like i well, like exactly good to god me it i would is, love to have them out and have andretti exactly in. that's where i feel like it is andretti news and you're you're leaning towards like the rejection which if i'm the commercial rights holders i'm on one of these teams i'm not opening the door to anyone else no we have no a monopoly to. with 10 teams and you want to get in make a bid on one of those 10 teams because that is gonna amplify valuations of those teams rather than expanding expanding and so i i would yeah, agree i it, think if anything it's it, a rejection of andretti and potentially acquisitions of williams or haas would be my would my pick on news but again i think, I think all of that doralton's gonna stick with it a little think so? longer right you think with this yeah. progress i mean with the progress they had I, dude, last season i don't see them getting out but dude, haas, gene haas is ripe for they have to be there's just no rumors like i but dude like we are not that far removed from them shedding a Russian oil oligarch and scrambling for funding elsewhere. Like I, they, and, and look no of the teams that Gene of the Haas. teams that declined from prior year, Alpine. 
I have a hard time seeing one of the few manufacturers actually departing. Uh, technically, Alphatari went up. We've already talked about them, but like Alfa Romeo and Haas. Alfa Romeo's already in deal. So oh, Haas, yeah, and to your point, good. Williams is like rising precipitously year over year. Dude. So I don't think you're going to see like them sell this year. But then what about, but to your point, what about Williams? Like, are they going to get higher than seventh? Well, they're, 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 their lead investor, their owner is literally a firm that has a financial, a pure financial incentive. So yes, well, at some point they will get tenured, exactly. But, but, but why not now? What more? Either you have to think the sport's going to grow rapidly overall, or some, or the team is going to continue to have like I think you're betting on greater team appreciation. Yeah, you think yeah, Williams think, is betting on team performance. I think, I think at Williams this point, is arguing. I would say Williams is probably like I don't know that they're going to go much higher than seventh. Maybe they do. But I feel like Doralton's probably banking on like continued F1 nah, sport growth. It, it wasn't that long ago, dude, when they were the young driver destination for the like Stroll and Botas and they're like they they were a midfield team. So I that's not unachievable for Williams at all to be a midfield team. Yeah. Um so Haas is really so the only team where Dude, what is Gene Haas getting out of this? Like what? He's not even present in the paddock. It's not like he's some like the Force India guy, like some gregarious He's billionaire in there, who likes the camera. Dude, yeah. he doesn't even show up. What is he getting out of this? Like, I, I, it blows my mind, like, why he is still interested. I, I will never understand. I mean, if anything, ever. it's just been, it's been a lifelong thing. I mean, he was in CART. He's in F1. Like, he's just, uh, which it just seems weird to me as if, like, you were in that for your life. And you really enjoyed it that much. Wouldn't you be at more events? And maybe they just yeah, don't show him, but it seems exactly. like anytime, anytime um, Gunter is talking to him, it's he's always phoning it in. It's on the phone. 100% he's always on the phone. He's ne- Dude, he's never there. He's never there. Which seems I, so I, weird. I know. And Haas has a team principal who is of intrigue, and they are a team that gets. It's not like Haas doesn't get. They get Haas. They get a disproportionate amount of so much attention. Yes, and he's never present. It's like, dude, like, how are you content to be an owner of a completely just pitifully performing team that's underfunded, underinvested, has no hope for the future, and? You have a team principal who, from a PR standpoint, is just completely absorbing the spotlight. And, oh, by the way, isn't good at his fucking job. So, like, what about that makes you want to continue? It's a joke. Like, I, I, I mean, it's like they are the Cleveland, I mean, they're the Cleveland Browns of F1, but, like, worse. Like, it's, it's like the Haslam's. I mean, they are just an absolute pitiful, they cannot help but to sh- just shit in their own, like, Sit in their own shit. Like, it's like, he's going nowhere. Like, it, 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 and you know what? Like, in five years, we, we may very well be sitting here, and it, we're still going to be talking about Haas finishing in the bottom third of the grid. And it's just like, dude. I mean, for him, it's got to be, he's got to be riding, like, continued growth of the sport because it was yeah, but- it was a few years ago where, you know, they were in the points regularly and they were like he battling embraced. for podiums, right? But but that was when that was sort of like pre the rapid growth of the last couple of years. And so I think from his standpoint, it's like, yeah, the team's moving the wrong direction, but he still in he still has a place there while the sport grows. And so I think he's riding that as long as he can. 
Yeah, but he hasn't even embraced the U.S. market. Like, he hasn't even tried to capitalize on that growth. Like, it, it, literally, the only thing they did was, like, a, that freaking what American flag. Yeah, like, we're talking about having an American to... team, and, like, there is one. <laughs> but it's not one. There is but one. But it's like, not. But he it just isn't. had to, to your point, like, why would you not try to position as such? Like, it hasn't even really been an attempt. Dude, I, yeah, it, it blows my mind. I, 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 I don't think anybody there is a bad guy, but they just, they piss me off because they just so, just so badly have just inconsistently squander opportunity and it just makes me furious because it's so such that, a poor representation of America. Go on. You just uh, don't uh, like, uh, you don't want to, you don't want America sitting back there in P10? No. I no, I don't. And I think that I don't want to have to just bank on the Ford partnership with Red Bull to represent my patriotism. Or Gerald. Sergeant. I, I'm not even going to put him into consideration for that. <laughs> He's no longer uh, an American in your eyes. If you already, no, I just need Colton Hurd. You've already emigrated somewhere. him. <laughs> the door's closing on getting Colton Hurd in, man. I don't know where they're going to sneak him in. It's just getting crowded. Like, I don't. I'm getting worried. Here's yeah, a better McLaren question. doesn't need him anymore. You, we, we did predict, we predicted Williams, the reason for any improvement in their prior year performance would have been the fact that they had a better driver. This season, Logan Sargent, one point. Last season, Latifi, two points. So technically, <laughs> Latifi is twice as good as Sargent, is he not? Yeah, when you're right, you're right. It's, oh, that's Numbers tough. don't lie. That's, dude, that, that is tough. <laughs> that's tough. That is amongst the most scathing stats that I've heard uh, in a while. Ugh. It's not a great look. Not a great look. Uh, look I mean, but we, to we be fair, Latifi was in multiple season, sergeant, rookie year. Like, let's give him some rookie year grace. But that being said, also not a Piastri-esque rookie year either so yeah logan left a lot to be desired and now we have williams shirts gathering dust uh <laughs> i don't even know where mine is wow well yeah i'm just kidding i sleep in it i, <laughs> I see I sleep it right there it is that right night. there yeah i sleep i sleep in it <laughs> yeah no nah, it's that, actually that, not a soft shirt i would never sleep in that no shirt. it's not very it's comfortable very no, it's very not coarse at all. <laughs> it's extremely coarse. Feels like you're wearing like sandpaper. Oh shit. Um, yeah, I think I will go with some sort of like Haas news or FIA leadership shakeup news as my my off season prediction. Okay, I like that. But I think it's safe to say, as we look back on the year, we are both per uh, Mister Will Buck's review of our of our show we are horribly inept way off the mark and lack any sort of real um real intuition about the direction of the sport so um, in fact exactly purely emotional purely conjecture and if that's not unqualified i don't know what is well with that i think do we bring uh the 2023 season to a close it has been an honor and a privilege, and uh, man, we're going to come back next year. 
We may do it slightly less frequently, but uh, with even more gusto and enthusiasm. <laughs> what we and- <laughs> what we lack in frequency, we make up for in enthusiasm and yeah. uh, and hopefully deeper contemplation. Because <laughs> so far that. we, because <laughs> no, so far it has it. been <laughs> grossly lacking. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, maybe with some guest appearances, uh, you know, at different points next year, get some new voices on, you know, shake up the dynamic a little bit, see what happens. Um, still in search of a village idiot. If you know any, you know, drop us a line. And just uh, to be clear, it's village idiot compared to you and I. So I mean, we are well, yeah. real yeah. bottom of the barrel Which is, type. We're we're, we're going to start with high school diploma and then move down from there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh man! Well, it has been a privilege serving alongside you here on a weekly to bi-weekly basis to less frequent as the year went on. Um, but yeah, we'll be back in next year for, for at least some number of episodes. But like you said, what are we trying here? Quarterly? Well, monthly? Certainly not race to race. We got, we got too much life to live here to be sitting here As consuming a, fucking seven hours and well, sprint races and all this bullshit. Also, I'm getting married in the middle of the season in May and then have a honeymoon in the middle of, in the middle of the first half of the season and then have a honeymoon in the middle of the second half of the season. So it's going to be... Uh, what are honeymoons gonna, for if not for catching a race, race in, seaside? I, I, well, actually, I haven't looked at the calendar and lined it up and seen when the Turkish Grand Prix is going to be because uh, I don't think Aaron's going to be on board. I was going to say, as poorly as you planned your your timing of your bachelor party in this El Nino season for the worst God, possible ski geez. conditions, I have very little confidence that you're going to plan your honeymoon any better to conform to the f1 calendar so yeah honestly like greece is probably gonna burn to the ground the month before we fly out i don't know they're probably gonna like decide they want to fight a war with italy you know and just like here we go (laughs) back to antiquity uh (laughs) be your luck Uh, all right uh, well with that i will see you and we will see all of our legions of adoring listeners (laughs) and by legions i think it's like a singular legion um of listeners in 2024 so thanks for hanging with us peace peace